a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. My blood pressure spiked just before I went on the air today because my dear governor, Gary Herbert, governor of the state of Utah, has extended the state of emergency involving COVID-19. I don't know if, if anybody was surprised. I guess I wasn't that surprised. The legislature, to their credit, was willing to let the state of emergency expire at midnight last night. But Governor Herbert said, well, you know, we have to uh, we have to renew and announce a new state of emergency. In fact, let me tell you verbatim, this is what he said. Today, I am also announcing a new state of emergency that will take effect tonight upon the expiration of our current one without this legal status. I'm sorry, I guess it expires tonight at midnight. Without this legal status, the state will lose access to significant federal funding. There it is. That's what that is what you say when you sell your soul in a buyer's market. For federal funding, heck yeah, I'll declare an emergency. <sighs> Look, none of this should be construed as as you know evidence that uh, ah, come on, it's a hoax. The coronavirus doesn't even really exist, and I know there are people out there who believe that, but it is very clear that leaders at uh, every level they want the power. They want the funding. They want the attention. I don't know. They want the validation that comes with a state of emergency. And and I don't ask this lightly. I know I was saying this yesterday. In fact, it, it, my denials are going are gonna to be like, well, see, this is the proof, Brian. You really are a revolutionary. I'm not. I do see a point coming, though, where the people are going to have to choose. You may think, well, if we can just, you know, politely sit it out and ignore it, this is all going to go away. It's not. It is not going to go away. In fact, you're, you're being forced into a corner and, okay, I'm just going to say it because I, I can't think of a way to, to soften this and make it sound pleasing. You either have to solve the problem now while it is relatively painless and bloodless to do so, or if you wait until these people, like our governor and other governors, continue to consolidate power and to ratchet down their control, it will be extremely costly. And I'm talking about people will go to jail. People will die because they don't have a choice but to stand up and push back. Now, if you can make the case to me, and, and I would invite you, please, by all means, tell me, you know, where is it in our interest to just submit and trust that those in power are always going to do the right thing. I'm all ears. Historically, though, I don't think that's the case. It doesn't all come in one fell swoop. Tyranny doesn't land on you with both feet. It creeps into the room on cat's feet, and it establishes itself in such a way that you, you wake up one day and suddenly you're realizing, I don't recognize the world around me. And this crisis over a virus that no one can see and which uh, poses a threat to some people, but 
will leave, uh, you know, 99 plus percent of those who get it alive. It's being exploited. And, and, you know, I'm sure Governor Herbert's a fine guy in his own right. But that admission, hey, well, if we don't do this, we'll lose valuable federal funding. How much are you willing to sell out for? At what point would you be willing to say? I I saw somebody else had reported this earlier that that he was saying that there would be a state of emergency would exist until there was a vaccine. Now, I don't know if, if that's the case or not. But there is no guarantee that a vaccine is going to be brought up. Um, Herd immunity probably is the best route to go. I'm looking at Sweden and their experience. No lockdowns, no mask mandates. But it's just clear that the, the path we're on right now is unsustainable. There is going to come a breaking point and people are going to revolt. Not because they're evil, you know, lovers of violence in their hearts, but because they have been left no choice but to throw off the power that is trying to keep them under its foot or under its thumb, as the case may be. I see people today talking about how, well, in fact, it was the Tribune. Yeah, go figure. The Tribune, it it loves, there's no statist scheme that it isn't going to love and affirm. And it's saying, well, if teachers don't, you know, uh, abide by the governor's directives to make sure that school kids are properly masked, That could be a misdemeanor charge, meaning they could go to jail for up to a year. They could be fined up to $1,000. That's the price for disobeying a health official. Well, let me give you an example. My friend Ryan sent me this earlier. He lives in a a fairly affluent part of of town in St. George. Desert Hills High School is, he says, mocked sometimes as the rich kids. So apparently this lady was getting her nails done. His wife happened to be there. Yesterday, the P.E. class at this high school, Desert Hills High School, was having the kids run a mile for their fitness task, test rather, with a mask on. Now, if you've never been to St. George, and this is for my listeners around the country and around the world, it's a hot place. Death Valley looks on in admiration and says, dang, St. George, you are you are pretty warm. It was 110 degrees. Well, this lady's kid was forced to run his mile for his fitness test with a mask on, ended up throwing up, passing out. She ended up taking him to a doctor, and then this lady said she went straight to an attorney. Now, ostensibly, the reason that education leaders, as well as other elected officials, are following these directives is because, well, we don't want to have a lawsuit filed. Well, guess what? You're about to get one. Maybe they should make it a class action lawsuit. Let's get people in on this who are concerned about what is being done to their kids, not just making them run until they throw up and pass out, but psychologically what is being done. Think of the little kids. Their minds are being bent by all of this fear porn that's being pumped at them 24-7, but especially when they are in the state's stewardship, when they are in the walls of those schools. I'm sorry, I, I'm, I probably sound absolutely unhinged, but I am hot under the collar about this. There is no way I can make myself believe this is a reasonable thing to tell the kids, you have to wear this, and by gosh, if your teacher doesn't do it, they'll put her in jail. And, you know, it's the, where does the governor have the power 
to issue this kind of a dictate in the first place to to legislate. He doesn't. And frankly, I'm just I'm putting out the call to Utah legislators. I know that they said, well, we could have had a session. We could have called a special session and uh, maybe, you know, reined in the governor's emergency powers. But there just wasn't enough will among legislators to do it. And my attitude is screw that. Do it. Even if you don't have enough numbers, let those numbers show who is standing on the side of almost unrestricted power and who is standing on the side of responsible, limited government. There's an election coming up. Maybe a lot of those legislators aren't up for re-election. Let the voters know. Show us where you stand. Because this is not going to get better. And I haven't even touched on the, the irony and the, the richness of, you know, a political class. And, Governor, yes, I'm looking your direction. You don't miss a paycheck. You take your money straight out of the, the taxpayers' pockets. You aren't worried in the least about whether or not your business is going to fail because well, you're the, your business is the business of the people. You can take that money through the force of the state. And that's exactly what the entire political class does. But the small business owner, the person whose job has been downsized or has, has maybe even been eliminated due to all the restrictions put on them by the governor and by various health officials... It's not justified. The hospitals have not been overwhelmed. We have not been running the crematoriums day and night trying to dispose of the bodies of the dead. Why do we continue to act like this is this massive health crisis where the overreaction, who was it, to Brian Kaplan, the piece I shared from him a couple of days ago, he says, yeah, maybe let's just say for the sake of argument that COVID is 10 times worse than the seasonal flu. Why was the reaction a thousand times worse on the part of government as to how it would respond to it? I don't know if I'm angry or more just uh, I'm concerned and, and maybe even just a little bit scared because I see a flashpoint approaching and it is going to be ugly. I want it to be peaceful. I'd love to think that in mass enough parents would say, you're not going to run my kid around in a mask until he or she pukes and then passes out. I'll withdraw my kid from the schools. I'll take my kid out of the hands of the state. But I don't know if the willpower is there. I think people know something is wrong, but I think they're really concerned about, well, but how do I politely stand up and, and tell people that I don't want to go along with it? Okay, we'll, we'll touch on that when we return just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-331-8113. I have vented my spleen. <laughs> now it's your turn. 801-331-8113. Uh, before I go any further, let me mention that uh, the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is one of my sponsors. I hope that you will consider them if you are in the market either for a new home loan or you're maybe thinking about refinancing your existing home loan. 
John Staples has been my friend for many, many years, and he and his wife, Heather, are simply superstars at Patriot Home Mortgage, which, by the way, is now 23 states strong. So uh, if you're outside of my home state of Utah, uh, there's no telling that maybe they could help you, too. Take a look for yourself. Jump online to their website, staplesmortgage.com. That's staplesmortgage.com. And when you talk to them on the telephone, tell them, thanks for sponsoring The Brian Hyde Show. All right. Before I grab the the first caller on the line, um, I don't know what to do. The governor has declared a state of emergency that uh, will supersede the one set to expire tonight at midnight. For some reason, I had it in my head today was Friday. It's not. It's Thursday at midnight tonight. Utah's state of emergency regarding covid will expire. But Governor Gary Herbert says, oh, now we need that uh, federal money. So he has chosen to declare a new state of emergency. How is it that South Dakota, without lockdowns, without uh, accepting federal money, was able to weather the storm so well? I'm not saying that, you know, it's a direct, you know, cut and paste copy from Utah to South Dakota. But if they were able to pull it off, uh, why, why can't other states? That's what I'm asking. Let's go to the phone. Caller, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey. Um. Maybe I should uh, <laughs> hold my peace to avoid uh, feeding the fires a little more. But, you know, it, it really got my goat yesterday when uh, you know, Governor Herbert made a Facebook post talking about how, you know, people need to not avoid getting medical COVID. Um, I think you're familiar with my situation in that particular regard. Um, you know, I couldn't help but comment on there that, you know, he's being such a hypocrite here because it's his orders that kept a lot of people from getting medical care that they needed because he decided that what they needed was a non-essential procedure or non-essential visit. And now he has the gall to come out and tell us, oh, you, you guys really need to, you know, keep taking care of yourselves. I mean, for crying out loud, you know, my almost two-year-old came within a hair's breadth of losing her hearing as a direct result of something that Governor Herbert decided was a non-essential medical condition. And sorry isn't going to bring it back. Sorry, I just had to put that in there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, fortunately, we were able to get it taken care of before it became a permanent issue, but it was close. And between that and you know, these pictures of uh, Lieutenant Governor Cox coming out where, you know, he's got his tweet telling us that we just need to, uh, I believe the direct quote is, wear the damn mask. Right. And now we're seeing pictures of when he wasn't taking a selfie of himself or posing for a photo op where he's definitely within six feet of other people and definitely not 
wearing any form of face protection. I mean, how self-righteous can you get between the two of those? Yeah, it's it's disturbing on a bunch of levels. And I again, I don't know the answer. I want to see the legislature step up and and act sooner than later. They do not need to wait to rescind this power. And and I say they're more accountable to the people than these health officials are. Put that power if it has to be exercised in the hands of someone who has to answer to the citizenry, not in some unelected bureaucrat's hands. I, I absolutely agree. You know, what What I would like to see happen is, you know, I, I believe there's already a pretty strong movement in Utah, you know, to protect people from government, government overreach in general, uh, not, this, not just the COVID crisis, although that is, you know, currently the big immediate one that we're dealing with. Um, I would like to see the leaders of this movement um, Got a call to those who are part of it. Say, you know, all of us email and write to our legislators and, and Governor Herbert and just kind of give them talks and you know tell them we will take you out of power right now if you don't straighten up and remember the oath of office that you took. Absolutely. John, thanks for the call. Great to hear from you. Look, I, and it's 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 not just the politicians I'm worried about too. And I'm, I'm going to share something kind of personal. I hope I don't get in trouble for doing this. But I went to the store with my wife last night and uh, went, to, uh, went to Target. Okay, I'll name the store. I did not, I had a mask with me, but I did not put it on. Because uh, I feel like I have a duty to resist. And I don't mean I want to go there and draw attention to myself. Look at me, I'm the unmasked man. I just quietly go in and go about my business. And we walked in and I started kind of looking around, mentally tallying up. All right, how many people here are wearing masks? It looked like about 99% of the people were all wearing masks. Now, they didn't have a door checker. They didn't have a, you know, mask enforcer there at the door. But uh, I just, I, I mind my own business. I'm very quiet. I'm a very unassuming person. You know, behind the microphone, I may hold forth, but... You get me out in public, I'm a pretty quiet guy. I blend in well with the crowd. But as I'm looking around there, we, we went there to pick up something that my wife had ordered. We're standing in line, you know, properly socially distanced from everybody else. We're standing there, and I could see the agitation on my wife's face growing as she's looking around and realizing, you know, everybody's wearing a mask. And she finally said something to me about, hey, you are the only person in here who is not wearing a mask. Now, thankfully, I'd been looking around, and I saw a mom with three daughters walking by, and I said, well, no, I'm not. Look, there's four of them right there, one, two, three, four, who weren't wearing masks. And to tell the truth, I didn't see anybody really paying any attention to them. I just noted because I thought, oh, good. I'm not the only pariah, <laughs> you know, who's, who's in the store today. Now, think about this for just a second. What are we doing Mentally, where are we going? Where are we, where are we allowing ourselves to be led by these mask mandates? And I'm not saying that you're dumb or you're foolish or you're, you know, you're a sheep if you wear a mask. But I have to ask, do they really do the job that, that uh, we're told that they do? And secondly, is there, is there another purpose behind this? Is there, are, are we expected to show some outward symbol of obedience to you know, whatever, whatever the governor has said, because I feel like I have a duty to resist. 
and maybe that makes me a bad person. You know, it's not the first time I've, I've had to do something that was deemed unpopular. And while it's uncomfortable, you know, I don't like getting sidelong glances. I don't like getting, you know, glares or people looking daggers at me. I am willing to stand up and take the hit, as are others that I know, simply to prove the point that not everyone is going to surrender to the fear porn that, uh, that is being fed to us. I don't know. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. I do have to allow for that possibility. I certainly don't have all the answers. But when we come back, I want to share with you an example of why I am a skeptical, why I feel like I don't just have, you know, a political bent to do this, but I feel like I have a moral duty. And it has to do with some of the sloppy, inaccurate reporting and grandstanding that's taking place over this COVID crisis. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm going to open the phones up here in just a moment. I I want to share with you a couple thoughts from this is an article from Reason.com. Nick Gillespie is the author. And it's about the single highest day or the highest single day of COVID-19 deaths that wasn't. Do you remember hearing about this? He says, under the best of circumstances, reporting on COVID-19 is tough. There are simply too many unknowns. And even when officials aren't manipulating the truth, they aren't always willing to cop to the fact that they don't really have solid answers. But there's really no excuse for journalism as sloppy and misleading as the August 13th ABC News segment whose headline blared, U.S. reports highest single day of COVID-19 deaths. Now, this video was widely shared, appearing not just on the ABC main news site, but also on Good Morning America, MSN, and elsewhere. And here's the problem. It simply wasn't true. In it, the anchor solemnly intones, the United States is reporting the highest number of deaths in a single day, nearly 1,500, while a graphic briefly but completely undercuts her point. The graphic points out at least an important qualifier. The 1,490 deaths represent the deadliest day since mid-May. In fact, according to the New York Times count, the seven-day rolling average number of deaths in April was double what the current numbers are. If you look at the graphic, you can see that the death peaks plainly occurred months ago. But such attention to an enormously important detail goes completely missing in the ABC segment. And a less than attentive viewer could be forgiven for thinking that the country was in fact experiencing record-setting COVID-19 deaths right now. And this is not the only one. A similarly misleading story courtesy of Bloomberg yesterday, which tweeted clickbait morsel titled Just In, Malaysia detects new coronavirus strain that's 10 times more infectious. The story itself was originally titled Malaysia detects coronavirus strain that's 10 times more infectious. And that headline has since been changed to the less incendiary Southeast Asia detects mutated virus strain sweeping the world. Possibly because the article never actually supported those fearful claims. If you read the piece, you'd learn that the strain being discussed is actually the predominant, the predominant variant in Europe and the U.S., and that there's no evidence from the epidemiology that the mutation is considerably more infectious than other strains. At least that's according to an epidemiologist they cited in the story. 
Now, there is a suggestion that it is said to have a higher possibility of transmission or infectiveness. But there is no evidence that the strain is either new or particularly bad. So Nick Gillespie says, look, the COVID-19 story is a tough one. New information is emerging all the time, but the media, never infallible in the first place, seem increasingly prone to running stories that aren't even internally consistent, but instead are a hodgepodge of anxiety and apocalyptic reporting. Under such circumstances, he says it's more important than ever to develop razor-sharp media literacy and BS detection skills. Whether or not a coronavirus vaccine ever arrives, we can at least inoculate ourselves against the more obvious failures of the fourth estate. Amen, bro. All right, let's go to the phone, 801-331-8113. Ray, thank you for standing by. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Always enjoy your show. And um, always like thought-provoking, you know, provoking thoughts. And um, I, I think what it comes down to, you know, um, I like what you said about responsible, limited government. You know, now on two subjects... The, the first one is the mask. You know, death. You know, is it our time? You know, and, and are you a threat to me? Am I a threat to you? You know, do we live in fear? And the opposite of living in fear is living in faith. And we don't have time to go into that. I, I, I think there's a lot of people who don't understand what that means to live in faith. But, um, you know, to attach ourselves to higher power and have real spiritual experiences, you know, that it's real. But, okay, so a need for a mask, you know, um, I, I mean, I, I admit wearing a mask, you know, but if, if there's going to be a social problem, then I'll put on my bandana, which is useless, doesn't do anything, you know, but just if people think I'm a threat to them, you know, I mean, I'm close. I'm close to seventy, and and I I I do have leukemia. You know, both into remission and out of remission, and so you know I'm high risk. You know, but um, I think I, I think I better not go any further with that. Okay. You know that that uh, the other subject I want to hit on is the government ruling us, making decisions over our lives. You know, people have totally lost the idea of power to the people, by the people and, and for the people, you know, of the people, whatever. Um, people have totally lost this. To grow up, be responsible, and make decisions, and, and get to know our neighbors and make decisions on a community level. You know, the problem is, which I don't see it being solved, is politics is a great career. You know, high pay, great benefits, great retirement. You know, endless expansion of government. They, they all think their job is to get in there, find ways to collect taxes, and then to spend it. And they think they're they're doing some good by spending our money. You know, and the only way it's going to stop is if regular people get in there, and they're going to go in there thinking, you know, I have my life, but my life is not politics. So I'm just going to go in there for one term and serve the country, and I'm going to cut down the pay and the benefits and the retirement and everything. So it, it's not so uh, lucrative 
for for people to get in there to think they're they're the lead and they're more intelligent to us and they want to control our lives. I mean, it, it you know it, it should just be a public service. No, you know, I I agree. I'm with you, Ray. And getting back, it's what what you're describing is actually there's a name for it. It's called public virtue, and and it involves an individual doing something that benefits the public generally or others around them without personally re- realizing any benefit to themselves. Uh, probably the best example, or at least the most handy example I can think of about this, would be George Washington. After the Revolutionary War, after you know the the founding period the articles of confederation and they they got together in philadelphia in 1787 to write the constitution or that's at least what came out of the article the convention to fix the articles of of uh, confederation and george washington was tired the guy had given so much he had been in war after war after war you know and just he had given so much public service he wanted to retire from politics he wanted to just go back to growing his garden and reading books and writing letters to his friends and and not being burdened with political leadership and yet he was approached by his countrymen who said look we want you to be, we want you to lead back we want you to be king would you be king he was like no i i won't do that but reluctantly he stepped back into that leadership position he was the first president of the united states he was a good one with the exception of the Whiskey Rebellion and how he handled that, but, you know, I can forgive him. He was human. Every person who holds political office should be looking at George Washington's example as, you know, I would really rather be doing things that, uh, that uh, I, I'd rather be living my life. I'd rather be tending to my family, tending to my, my yard than out there trying to make decisions of, you know, how other people should be doing things. See, I'm I'm still not to, I'm not entirely against the idea of maybe we should start drafting people for public office. I think that uh, it should be seen as uh, well. You report for duty, and you're going to be in there for two years, and then you can go back to your life. I think it should be a sacrifice, not a forty-year career where you where your net worth goes from you know a hundred thousand dollars to several tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. Back to the phone, caller. Welcome to the show. All right, moving on. So we'll take a break here in just a moment. Uh, when we come back, um, I've got a couple of different ones, a couple of different directions I'd like to go. One is an article by Barry Brownstein. I may save this one for tomorrow, and that is, how do you vote for good leadership, you know, in the upcoming election? So that's uh, that's one possibility. There's an excellent article by Lathan Watts, Should America Be Guided by Narratives or Truth? And this is something that is probably more important than we realize. Because so much of what is being pumped at us through the various media sources day in and day out is narrative. There's a difference. So we'll come back to it in just a few. Our program brought to you today by firesteel.com. Go to their website. Take the time to watch some of their demo videos. Learn about these amazing fire starting devices. They're small, they'll fit right in your pocket, they're affordable. You can give them as gifts. You can afford to have one in your 72-hour kit, in your vehicle, you know, in your serious preps. Bottom line is, you have a way to create a fire that is much handier than carrying around a whole bunch of matches or a bunch of lighters. And it's very cost-effective, and it really works. 
And best of all, you mentioned my name at checkout. Just put in the coupon code Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, and they will knock 10% off the price for you. Save you some money. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, my apologies. I think I'm doing a really great impression of an old man yelling at clouds today. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I am just a little bit riled. And I feel better for talking about it, but uh, I, I, I don't know that I'm offering any real hardcore solutions just yet. I do like this article by Lathan Watts. This was published on intellectualtakeout.org, originally published in the Daily Signal. Should America be guided by narratives or truth? So I guess here's here's one of the solutions that you and I need to uh, need to be willing to embrace. And that is we need to become the essential the essential equivalent of a walking, talking human BS detector. We need to be able to tell when someone in the media is shining us on, when a politician is shining us on, or someone is just not giving us enough information from which we can draw an informed conclusion. Lathan Watts starts out with uh, noting that in a recent interview, Attorney General William Barr said of the dominant news media, they are projecting a narrative. When the word narrative came into currency, he says, I knew we were in trouble because the word narrative suggests there's no objective truth. There's no real story of what happened. It's just everyone has their own narrative. And you get to where the press can justify presenting a story that doesn't really correspond to objective truth, but it's our narrative. We have a narrative. You have a narrative. End quote. Now, he says, although Barr's commentary was related to one aspect of American culture, the media, in it we find a microcosm of the pestilence plaguing civil society at large. For decades, so-called progressives in academia, politics, and religion have cast moral absolutes to the wind in favor of relativism. And now we watch in horror as the whirlwind has its day in cities across our country. That Barr would point out the danger of cultural abandonment of objective truth should come as no surprise. Last year at the University of Notre Dame, the Attorney General delivered a speech on the role of religion in free society, and thus the constitutional imperative to protect religious freedom. The oration's prescience and poignancy were matched only by the humility of the orator. By the way, it was a good speech. It was, it was very well done. Now, the Attorney General isn't breaking any new philosophical ground. Rather, he is, as William F. Buckley Jr. said once, standing athwart history yelling, Stop! And he's in good company. Thomas Jefferson didn't claim that human equality and human rights share the same divine source to be theoretical. He declared them to be self-evident truths. Moreover, Jefferson and the other founding fathers didn't claim their grievances with King George III to be a matter of differing opinions. As the Declaration of Independence reads, quote, the history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having a direct object, the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. Now, if there were no truth, there could be no facts for a candid world to consider. See, the founders knew that freedom without morality inevitably leads back to tyranny. 
if each man is free to do what is right in the sight of his own eyes with no common objective standard of right and wrong, good and evil, then what's to stop the strong from oppressing the weak? Now, you'll find this in Federalist 51. If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. So in establishing the Constitution, the founders sought to balance mankind's competing interests in freedom and power by limiting government. It was a grand experiment based on the idea that men could be good enough to be trusted with self-government, to respect the rights of others, to avoid the cultural chaos from which tyranny emerges. Now, where would this common notion of goodness come from? Well, the answer is enshrined in the first words of the First Amendment to the Constitution. Freedom of religion preserves the proper role of religion in a free society. There's only one source of objective morality and truth, the same God who created all men equal. Religion points men to God. Now, to be certain, this nation would not declare any official state-approved church, hence the Establishment Clause of the Constitution. Nor would the nation stand in the way of any man living according to his deepest-held convictions. That's the Free Exercise Clause. But it placed the source of truth and morality higher than the state. We, their posterity, have enjoyed the blessings of liberty ever since. But as John Adams noted, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And so today we see the results of years and years of secularist attacks on religion, eternal truths, and the exclusion of religion and morality from public life. You can't have the freedom to peaceably assemble for a redress of grievances unless you have the morality not to destroy public property or loot and pillage fellow citizens' private property. The line from chaos to tyranny we are learning is shorter than we could have hoped. Without a shared conviction among a nation's people that there is such a thing as objective truth, we are left fighting for individual, tribal, and the utterly subjective, my truth. Or as Barr described, your narrative versus my narrative. There's only one way to declare a winner under the latter scenario, and that is power. Therein lies the source of the ever-increasing vitriolic rancor of our elections. Ideas aren't judged objectively true or false. Policies aren't judged by results. It has become the oppressed versus the oppressor with the objective being power. From a competitive marketplace of ideas debated honestly by those who aspire to serve their fellow men, their America more closely resembles the Shakespearean tragedy Macbeth, in which a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Lathan Watts says, For over two centuries, America has been the exception to the rule of history. He says, we were founded on the truth that morality and freedom are inextricably linked. It's the philosophical difference between the foundation and results of the American Revolution and the, re the revolution in France. And if we are to keep this republic, we must remain exceptional. Alexis de Tocqueville told Americans, we are great because we are good. And if we ever cease to be good, we would cease to be great. I know there are those who contest, where did he say that? Where, where will you find that? I don't know if Tocqueville is the one who said it, but uh, there's a truism there, whether he said it or not. Those who cease to be good cease to be great. 
And as Lathan Watts says, centuries before de Tocqueville, the source of that goodness put it plainly for all humanity, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This is one of the reasons why uh, even those who do chase various conspiracies, I'm willing to be your friend. I'm willing to hear you out. Not because I'm looking for a new conspiracy to believe in, but just because I understand that I don't have all the answers. I want to see the world clearly, that I might better understand what's taking place around me, that I might better understand what I can do to help shift things in the right direction. You can't do that if you are in a you know constant state of indecision or darkness for that matter, where you don't really know what's going on. But learning to sort the narrative from the facts, it's not something that someone else is going to do for you. And I'm always so honored when people say, I just really like to, I like how, I like your approach on things, Brian, or I like your slant on things. And I'm glad. It probably means we agree on a number of things, but it should never be construed as, yeah, I got this stuff figured out. You got it, bub. You know. I'm still very much a work in progress. There's always the chance I'm going to get it wrong. And I would encourage you, please hear what I have to say, but take it with a grain of salt and better still sit down and sort it out for yourself. And by the way, my deepest gratitude is reserved for those people who, when they find, hey, Brian, you got this partly right, or you you got it part of the way there, but here's what you missed. And then they help me fill in the gaps. Whatever ego I have, it's not so great that I can't take direction or correction because ultimately I really do place higher value on the truth than simply on making sure that my narrative holds up better than your narrative. I don't know what the answer is. In my home state of Utah, the governor is is declaring an emergency ostensibly so that we can keep those federal funds coming. The legislature at this point appears... I'm not going to say powerless, but they appear largely ineffective at reining in that emergency power. How many more months can it go? I don't think I want to find out. But I am convinced that if enough people will stop buying the narrative that COVID is the most dangerous thing that's ever happened ever in the history of the world, and will start looking for solutions that don't involve government or don't involve government funding or don't involve some bureaucrat somewhere telling you, you must do this, you must think that, you must wear this. I'm still pretty confident we will get the answers that we need. How do you break a a person's faith in the official narrative? I don't know how, but I work on it every day. And I thank you for being part of that group of wrong thinkers who is doing likewise. This is The Brian Hyde Show.